Welcome to the Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. This summer, we're walking through the book of Romans, taking a master class from the rich and powerful book of the New Testament. Romans is one of the greatest books of the Bible. It is the essence of the gospel and provides the rich doctrine of our faith. Romans was written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Rome, and God has used it to change the hearts of men and ultimately the world. In Romans, we see the impact of our sin, which reveals our deep need for God, and then the importance of living out our faith in Jesus today. Whether a lifelong student of the Bible to a first-time believer, this is a masterclass for everyone. Let's listen in. Well, Romans chapter 10, uh, if you have a Bible with you or if you are going to follow along on an app on your device, Romans chapter 10 is where we're going to be. Uh, if you don't have a Bible and you would like a Bible, we have uh, a couple uh, at the Next Steps table in the gym. Uh, as you came in, you're more than welcome to go grab one of those. Uh, make that your own. It'll be our gift to you this morning. Uh, we believe that God's Word is uh, is where... this. Is, is God's word. It is, it is the, the voice of God to us, and he teaches us through it, and, and um, it's authoritative over our lives. And so uh, we would love for you to have a copy of it uh, because we believe that um, in God's word contains the words of life. And so uh, we'd love for you to have a copy of that. If you, uh, I, again, I just want to say welcome uh, to you guys, to, to all of you, and especially to our guests this morning. We're glad that you're here. We hope that you feel welcomed. We hope that uh, if you don't have a church home, a place that's a regular worship uh, a place where you regularly worship, we would love for you to consider this home uh, and check us out and figure out maybe if this is where God would have you uh, be a part and serve and, and grow in your relationship with him. We're in the middle of a series called Masterclass where we're working through the book of Romans. And so it's a, it's a 15-week study through the 16 chapters of Romans, the 16 chapters that make up this letter uh, that Paul writes to the Romans. And again, we're in chapter 10 this week. And there's two things I, I got to make sure I say. Uh, first is, yes, I'm losing my voice. So we don't know. I mean, by God's grace, I'll make it through the end of this. That's good. Uh, if not, we'll cut it off and uh, we'll just go home whenever it's over, right? Uh, secondly, I, I know um, for some of you, the, if this isn't your first time, the worship guide and the, it looks a little different. Usually we have a little fill in the blanks. Uh, I, I, some of you know that my wife, Rebecca, had, um, had to have her gallbladder removed midweek and it's just been a crazy week for us. And so I just didn't get my notes in early enough. And so that's why you have lines. I don't have fill in the blanks for you. Uh, so. I, you, can, you can make your own notes, right? I'll, I'll give that to you this week. You're welcome. Uh, you can write your own notes. So I just want to make sure I say that because later on the bill, like, well, I didn't have notes. I'm like, I, I know you didn't have notes. Uh, anyway, so uh, let, let's, let's dive in. I'm going to just pause and just ask the Lord to bless our time together this morning and we jump in uh, to Romans chapter 10 and what God has for us this morning. Lord, we love you and we thank you that you loved us first. You love us best. You love us always and your love never fails. And God, we pray that this morning as we do come to your word, we thank you for the songs that we get to sing. We thank you for the fellowship and the, and the smiles and God, just the, the friendship and the community that happens in this room and, and that is here as, as a part of your Holy Spirit being here with us. But God, right now as we open up your word, I pray, God, that you would speak to us that your Holy Spirit would do the work of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I can, I can proclaim your gospel, but I can't do anything to transform hearts. Only you can do that. And so I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would do that among us this morning, Lord, that you would open eyes and ears and open our hearts to be able to receive this word from you this morning. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen and amen. 
so last week we talked about this. Romans chapters 9 through 11 uh, ha- contains some really heavy topics. They're, they're, they're not, it's not an easy portion of Scripture to work through. Right? And, and we said this again last week that uh, the blessing of working through a whole book of the Bible is that sometimes things that you might, if you had the chance to skip over, you would skip over because they're, they're hard conversations. You might shy away from them. You don't, you don't have the opportunity to do that when you're working through Scripture the way that we're working. And so it, it is, it, it, sometimes it brings about hard, hard conversations, but I think it's a beautiful thing. It's a good thing for us to focus on and, and see ask questions about what God is saying in, in ways that really do cause us to look inwardly and, and think about what Scripture says. And, uh, you know, what we're in, in in chapters 9 through 11, and we're in chapter 10, is really considered the second major part of Paul's letter to the Romans. And so again, some of you have not been a part of the for those first nine chapters that we've worked through, but if you look at chapters 1 through 8, what you see is is this introduction in the first 15 verses, but then from verse 16 on through the end of chapter eight is this greatest, the most fullest explanation of the gospel that Paul has in all of his letters that he writes. Not only that is this unsurpassed kind of breakdown or, or, or explanation of kind of theological, the major things that we understand about who God is and what he's done and, and what the gospel is and who Christ is. I mean, it's, it's, it's an incredible letter. No wonder it's been a part of so many revivals and movements of God throughout history. If you skip over to Romans chapter 12 through 16, what you see is some, some practical ways. What Paul does is some practical ways in saying, in light of what is taught, in light of what we know and what we kind of understand of the gospel and, and theology, this is the way that we live life in the marketplace, in homes, with our neighbors, within, at, at work and in the, within the government and so on. It kind of gives us this picture of what life looks like as those who have been rescued and been redeemed by Jesus. Verses, or chapters 9 through 11, what, what happens is, is Paul reflects kind of works through this gospel. It gets to this point where it's almost you just feel the heaviness and the passion in Paul's voice as he writes this. He, he recognizes that his people, him, him being a Jewish male, understand, he understands that the people of God, the Jewish people have rejected God and sought on their own the way to find righteousness. And, and in seeking on their own, what they've done is they've said no to God and the way that he's provided for them. And they've said, I can do it on my own. And it's breaking his heart. He desires for them to know this. And this rejection is breaking his heart. You hear his passion and, and, and he kind of works through all that. And, and we didn't finish the end of chapter nine last week. So I want to read this last little bit of nine and then jump into chapter 10 where it says this. And in chapter nine, verse 30 through 33, it says, what then shall we say? That the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have obtained it a righteousness that is by faith. But the people of Israel who pursued the law as a way of righteousness, have not obtained it as their goal. Why not? Because they pursued it not by faith, but, by the, but, but as if it were by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, see, I lay in Zion a stone that causes the people to stumble, a rock that makes them fall. And the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. 
He quotes an Old Testament prophet and the, the reality that, hey, God is going to put in among his people, he's going to put a stumbling block. And that stumbling block was Jesus. And they stumbled over it, right? They, it made them stumble because one would build their faith. They would build their, their lives on it and, and faith on this rock. And the others would stumble over it because they tried to find righteousness on their own. He goes on in chapter 10. He says, brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God is for the Israelites that they might be saved. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they do not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the culmination of the law so that there, is, there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Moses wrote, this is about righteousness, excuse me, wrote this about righteousness that, that is by the law, that the person who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness, excuse me, but the righteousness that is by faith says, do not say in your hearts who will ascend to heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ up. But, but what does it say? It says the word is near you, it is in your mouth, it is in your heart. That is, that is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. If we declare with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified and with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. The scripture says anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there's no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Honestly, this is one of those passages, especially chapter 10 and kind of what chapter 10 and 9 and 10, what Paul is working through is his heart breaks over his brothers and sisters and even his family as he reflects on the fact that they've rejected God. And so as a result of that, they're far from him, right? It, it, it breaks my heart and sits heavy on my heart because it, part of it is my own story. And, and another part is what I've seen in, in doing ministry in, in the places that I've done ministry. I grew born and raised in South Louisiana in, in, in a, very, a very religious culture. Religion kind of is, it, it, it's kind of a part of who we are in South Louisiana. We don't have counties, we have parishes, and that's the influence of the Catholic church that's there. But now I live in, in Kentucky, or I lived in Kentucky for a while, and, and now I live in Tennessee, and just the midst of the Bible Belt and, and all the people who know a lot about God, who've been around the things of God, but don't necessarily know the God that they, that they, they don't know the Jesus that this God talks about. They don't have a relationship with God in a way that, is, that brings about salvation. I can remember when I was in college, it was one particular semester that there was a couple of uh, folks in one of my classes that I studied with on a regular basis and, and really made friends with them, knowing kind of where they were and, 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 and recognized that they didn't have a relationship with God. They were very religious. They, they attended uh, a, a, local, uh, a, a local church there, uh, but there was nothing that really reflected a lives that had been transformed by the gospel in, in their lives. But they were very religious, very religious, very good people. And, and, and I remember that they got really upset with me when I shared the gospel with them. 
They got upset with me because they, they, they recognized their religion, that they were very religious. But secondly, what they also recognized and what they proclaimed and what they got mad at me about is the fact that they were good people. And I couldn't argue that. They were. They were good people. But they were good people who didn't know Jesus. And I think as, as you kind of work through this and what I've worked through in, in my own ministry and seen over and over, there's a lot of people who are unsaved that call themselves Christian. There are a lot of people who claim to be followers or claim to be, claim to be Christians, but they don't have a relationship with the Christ that, that is a part of that name. What they are is very good people. They're very religious. And they've built their whole hope on the same things that Paul's heart has broken over on their own righteousness. And I know that it, the study polls and, and studies, research has shown over and over again that 53% of Americans, I would say that it's more than that. I think this is an older poll, believe that they can go to heaven because they're good people. And, and, I, and I recognize, like, I, I understand that, that throughout our world, a, a common argument, a common understanding of what is, what is, what's going on in our world is that all of these religions, all these major world religions, they all lead to the same thing. The only problem is that the people that claim that don't actually participate in any of those religions. And if they did, they would recognize that that's not the truth. They fundamentally are different. And so it brings us to this really hard question. This passage at requires us, uh, of us to answer this really hard question of will good people go to heaven? And, and what, I, what scripture tells us, and listen, if you are offended by this, listen, I've been offended by it myself and plenty of others have before you and plenty of others will with you, uh, along with you in the future. But you're not offended by what I'm saying. You're offended by what scripture says because I believe categorically scripture says no. That if what you're basing your hope of eternity with God is on is your own personal goodness, then no, you will not spend an eternity with him in heaven. That apart from a relationship with Christ, there is no hope. There is none that are good. From this passage, what I want to say is there's three, three reasons that, that I think that we can see, just even in the first three verses of chapter 10, that tell us why good people don't go to heaven. The first one is this, and, and if you're following along and you want to write these down, this first, first point is this, that because good people are not good enough. That good people are not good enough. Listen, Romans chapter 10, verse 1, it says, Brothers, Paul writing, and, he, and remember, he's writing to these Roman citizens. Part of them are Jews, part of them are Gentiles, right? And see, so he says, Brothers and sisters, my heart desire, my heart's desire and prayer to God is that the Israelites might be saved or they may be saved. And so, literally, this is a shocking statement because you're talking about people who are really good people. If he continues to read and you continue to look at what he said, these are really, they, they've done lots of things to make themselves good. They've followed the law. They've done all the things that would, that from the outside you would look and say, these are fantastic humans. He, Paul, a Jew himself, knows all the things that they've done, the things that, 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 he's, that the people that he's praying for are not just friends. Some of them might even be his family who, who have built their lives on their own attempts to be good, on their own attempts to be righteous based on what they know. It's troubling 
It's troubling because of even just what we said. These people had done, they had followed the law. They had given themselves to these things. They, they were good people. They weren't hurting anyone. But again, it, it, the troubling is not just there. It, it kind of moves past that. What about all of those people? All of those major world religions that we just talked about. What about all of those people who are good people? What about the millions and millions of people who are not religious at all, but they're just good people, great people even? How about all of those people? What about all of our friends and our neighbors? What about, what about maybe, maybe to be a little, what about your neighbor? I mean, I think about my own neighbors. They're good people. I mean, they keep their yard mowed, right? That's good people. They don't talk to me every time I'm outside. We do, we do the kind of like wave and we make small talk, right? If something happens, they know about it. They'll come and check on us. I'll go check on them. They're good people. They recognize if we're out of town. I, I mean, I don't suspect that I'm going to end up on the news one day. Being like, I didn't have any idea. I promise I'm not going to end up on the news. <laughs> I will not talk to the news just to not embarrass y'all. But they're good folks. Let's move it just a little. What about, our, what about the parents on the sidelines of your kids' sports teams? They're good people. What about those people that you work with at your office that are good people? They are just salt of the earth kind of folks. What about your own family? I know this hurts for some of us. They're good people. They're not hurting anyone. They're good people. And they may even be great people. They help out. They're concerned when you're, when you're hurt or when you're, when you're not there. They check on you. They serve their community. They're good folks. And I don't doubt that they're good people. The problem is that our measuring stick is broken. The reality is that they're good, but they're good compared to who? I mean, I could give you a, a list of millions of people that they're probably better than, right? They're probably better than lots of people that you know that, you know, I used to live next to people who played loud music late at night. They're not good. I didn't like that. <laughs> My neighbors are better than that. But, but good compared to who? I mean, because our standard of goodness continues to change, right? Our standard of goodness 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 40 years ago was much different than our standard of goodness today. And so they're good compared to what? The reality is the measuring stick, the measuring line, the standard of what we have to measure against is not other people around us. Because, yes, they're good, they're, they're gooder, they're better. <laughs> mm, English teachers, Sorry. They're better than some, but they're probably not as good as others. I mean, let's throw Mother Teresa in there. They're better than Mother Teresa? I don't know. They served in Calcutta for years and years and gave up everything? I, probably not. So what's our standard? Our standard is not other humans, not other individuals in our lives or other individuals that are around us. It's just one individual. Are they good compared to Jesus? How do they stack up next to the one who came and lived a perfect life? And listen, if you're in a flat spot where you don't believe that, I, I, I can tell you that that's what Scripture says. 
right? If you don't believe that Jesus is the son of God, that he came and he lived the perfect life and died the death that we deserve to die, he rose again from that, we can have another conversation, but you're probably not going to agree with me on this. But, I, but I'll tell you this, even if you don't believe that, they're probably not better than the Jesus of the Bible, even if you think he's a historical figure. Our measuring stick is Jesus. And we know as we, as we recognize that is what Paul recognizes, what we really, at our core, what we have to understand and what we, we really understand is what Scripture tells us. It tells us in Romans chapter 3, we've, we've read through this in our, in our series, it says this in verse 10, as it is written, quoting the Old Testament, there is no, no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They've all together become worthless. There is no one who does good. Not even one. If you really want to be annoying to somebody when they tell you tomorrow, when you ask them how they're doing, and they say they're good, be like, no, no one's good. That's what scripture tells you. It's so annoying. It's such a Christian joke, and you probably shouldn't do it, but it, it, it's what Scripture says. No one's good. Not even one. Romans 3.23, it says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You see, our measuring stick is broken if we're just comparing ourselves to other people, because that's easy. Our world is full of this comparing ourselves to other people, bringing down other people so we can feel better, right? The, the, the poor bring down the rich. The rich bring down the poor. We all do that, right? Maybe you don't. Maybe I'm just the only scumbag in the room. We, all, we can all compare ourselves to somebody and feel better about ourselves, but the fact is our measuring stick is not other people in the room. It's not other people in our society. It's one person. His name is Jesus. And he was perfect and none of us measure up. It's what scripture tells us. Many of you will recognize this passage that Jesus said in the book of John, in the gospel of John, it says, for, for God so loved the world. Jesus himself said this, that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life, right? That if they believe in him, they put their faith in him, they'll not perish, but they'll have eternal life. But, but you know what it says after that, verse 17, it says, for God did not send the son into the world to condemn the world. Jesus is saying this. He didn't send me into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe him stands condemned already because they've not believed in the name of, the God, the name of God's one and only son. Listen, what he's saying and what we have to understand is that we were already condemned. He came to save us, not, he came to save us because we were already in this place, because we were already condemned, because we were already in need of a savior. He came for us because none of us were good. He came for us. And so Paul's words in this chapter are clear to his friends and his family, the guys that he's known for years. I mean, Paul's a Pharisee. He's walked lots of life with guys who are far better and know far more scripture and have, been in, have done far more things that, that would be considered good than any of us will ever do. And what he says and what he recognizes about them is that their, their righteousness is built on their own works and without Christ, they have no hope. And brings us to the second reason that good people don't go to heaven. It's because good people are deceived about their true condition. See, good people are deceived about their true condition. And, and here's what it says in verse 
Verse 2, it says, For I can testify, Paul saying, For I can testify about them because I know them, that they are zealous for God, right? They are, they are about it. They are, they are, they're committed. They're passionate for God. But their zeal is not based on knowledge. Remember, again, he's talking about Jewish friends and family, two other Jewish people that are in Rome that are reading this, these, that have been scattered after, his de- after, after Jesus' death. They've gone to all these other places and, and they, they're hearing the gospel. They, they've, most of them that are reading this have trusted Christ for salvation. But he's, he's like, hey, there's other Jews in, in the places that you are that they're building their lives on these things. And he says they are zealous. And he knows what they're talking about. He knows that they know the law. He knows that they've done all of the things. And most of the time when we talk about the law, what we're talking about is the Ten Commandments. That's most of the time the reference that we give, right? Thou shalt not kill, all of those, all of those things. And don't commit adultery. But, but what we don't understand, what we don't normally touch is, is what Paul's kind of, kind of extracting here when he's talking about the law. It's not just the law in the Ten Commandments, but from the Ten Commandments, what it says in, in the Old Testament is there's about 613 different commandments, on their own counts, Jewish people, on their own counts, there's about 613 different commandments in the Old Testament. Don't do this. Don't touch that. Don't eat these things. Do eat those, those things. Worship here. Don't worship there. All those things. And those commandments, from those commandments, the rabbis, the teachers of those different days, those guys that were uh, contemporaries of Jesus and Paul, they had added thousands of other laws to these laws. Thousands of other ways to keep you from sinning. So not only do you not do these things on Sunday, but you don't do these things so you, that you don't ever get close to doing those things. And since you don't want to do these things so you don't get close to those things, you don't do these things so you don't get close to that, so you don't do that. Laws upon laws upon laws. It's what Jesus says in the, in the New Testament in the gospel. He says they, they put this heavy yoke on them. It was too much for them to bear. There were too many laws for them to ever remember. Even if you were really good at it, how could you remember it? And if you did remember all of them, if you did do all the things that you were supposed to do, it became more about your head than it was your heart. You were doing all the things, but you weren't really worshiping God. It was about all the things that you were doing. And so you came out, either you were, you were destroyed, you, were, you, you, were, you felt like a failure or you were a hypocrite and you were about it because you did all the motions and you, and, you, and you were proud of all the things that you were doing. You were proud of your work. And so they were zealous. They had this great energy and enthusiasm and passion. They were fervent and they were committed and they really meant it. They were sincere And he knows this. And Tim Keller, an author and pastor, writes this about their zeal. He says, their zeal is not enough. Our zeal must be based on knowledge. Because that's what Paul says. They were zealous, but their zeal was based, their zeal was without knowledge. And this is a complete contradiction to the common proverb of our time, that it doesn't matter what you believe, as long as as what you believe, you believe it sincerely. What Paul is saying here is that the Jews were sincere, they were zealous about their beliefs, but their beliefs were erroneous and they were mistaken. The truth is that zeal without knowledge or understanding is fanaticism, even terrorism. Imagine this. Imagine a lady who loves her neighbor sincerely, gives her a big bouquet of flowers, not realizing that her neighbor is desperately allergic to them. That zeal without knowledge causes her to be sick. It could even be fatal. 
Side note, I did this recently. I brought home some tulips. And I was like, I'm crushing it today. Put them out there. Rebecca comes home from work. I'm like, I got you some flowers. Immediately her eyes get red. She starts, I mean, it's bad. And I'm like, what is going on? She's like, I'm really allergic to those. I'm like, how does this happen? I had to throw them out of the house. Like, oh, it's awesome. I was zealous about it, but zeal without knowledge. Like, when did you become allergic to these? She's like, I always have. Every time you've done it, I've just never said anything. I'm like, oh. <sighs> Secondly, just imagine this, that a person who intensely believes, sincerely believes that the poison mixture that they drink is not going to be fatal. If they drink that poison, even though they were sincere and fervent and zealous about their beliefs, they still die. The sincerity of your belief is not what saves you. Their zeal and their passion is, is not what helps them, actually, not helps them at all. Actually, what would help this individual, what it would help them do is actually die because they were zealous about something and it caused their death, right? Our zeal doesn't save us. Good people, even zealous and passionate, committed people don't go to heaven because they're fundamentally deceived about their condition. They're either ignorant or they ignore what scripture says. For instance, what it says, what, what the, the, the prophet Isaiah says concerning our good and zealous works in Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6, it says, all of us have become like those who are unclean. All of our righteousness is like filthy rags. One pastor I read this week attempts to, to like catch the vileness of the picture that Isaiah is giving and trying to paint our failed attempts at righteousness on our own. And, and this is what he says. He says the he says, have you ever seen a dirty rag that, that someone has used to clean their hands when working on a car like an engine? It's covered with dirt and grease and grime. Now imagine dragging that rag through a dirty used toilet and then dipping it in diseased human blood. His description was actually a little more graphic than that. I kind of toned it down because it was disgusting. But that's what, that's what Isaiah says. It's what God says about our own righteousness, about our works on our own, our zealous attempts to accomplish on our own what only Christ could accomplish for us. They are filthy rags. That our zeal and our passion, our commitment apart from Christ, they do nothing. That he looks down on us, on all of our things that we say, here's all my good works and all that he sees, all that he sees is a pile of filthy, rancid, disgusting rags. But be, good people have a hard time understanding or believing that. We have a hard time getting it. We have a hard time recognizing that our own works don't measure up. We just, we're deceived about the true condition of our heart. And then the last one is this, that because of that, because we're not good enough and we're deceived about our goodness, good people don't think that they need Jesus. Listen to verse 3. Since they do not know the righteousness of God, they sought to establish their own. They did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the culmination of the law so that, that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Here's the bottom line. The root problem is that good people don't think that they need Jesus. 
And listen, I'm going to insert this because I, I, I really, I, there's times when, when the only thing that I'm supposed to do up here is not, I'm, I'm not supposed to just comfort those who are hurting. I'm supposed to wound and, and, and hurt those who are comfortable. I'm going to insert not only just the good, I'm going to say religious people. Good and religious people don't recognize that they need Jesus. That's what Paul's saying to these, to these people that he's writing to, to, these Jews and these Gentiles. They don't recognize that they need Jesus because they're building it all on their own goodness and they're just ignorant or, or they ignore the reality that their own goodness, their own righteousness, their own works don't do it. They seek that to attempt to, to establish a righteousness of, our, of their own apart from the law, apart from his provision through Christ to the gospel. That's what those rules and regulations are all about. That's why they added so much to the Old Testament, what God had already said in the Old Testament. They were trying to establish on their own the righteousness. And to put it in simple terms, what they were doing is, that, is they were saying, God, your way's not good enough. We know how to do it better. We want to do it on our own. We want to set up our own rules. They didn't understand that Christ was the end of the law. The word in the NIV that we just read is the culmination. What, what that means is that he was the end of the law, the fulfillment of the law, that everything that the Old Testament law points to, everything that the Old Testament prophets pointed to, everything that the Old Testament promises pointed to, all of those things that we see in the Old Testament, all the law and the prophets and the promises, they all point to Jesus. He's the fulfillment of those things. All of those things find their end, find their fulfillment in the one person, the one who did all the things that were acquired of us and died the death that was, that was required of him that actually should have been required of us so that we could have life. That the goodness that we could never accomplish on our own could be accomplished because we were given that goodness by Christ in putting our faith in him. They thought that they could keep the law and be good enough, but that it was backwards because what the law was meant to do, what the law was given to them to do, and God is sovereign. He's, he's in authority over all of these things. What God was doing and giving them the law was allowing the law to be a schoolmaster. It was to teach them, to show them, hey, you can't accomplish these things. That's what Moses says. We read it in verse 5. He says, what Moses says, if you, if you do these things, you will live by them. He's saying, hey, if you accomplish, if you can do these laws, then you will find life. But the reality is that they couldn't, and so they, they found death, but they didn't recognize that they were dead in their sins and their trespasses. They ignored it. Or they were ignorant. So the reality is they missed it because they rested their hopes on the hopelessness of their own goodness to be what saved them. And I said this earlier that, that this breaks my heart because, you know, what's, to say this well, it's probably pretty easy. Actually, there's a, a guy that was considered the, I can't remember what it, the evangelist, they, they called it, it was an evangelist in New Orleans that was known, that died a number of years ago, but he, he Bourbon Street, oh, I can't remember what they called him. Anyway, they interviewed him. He talked about sharing the gospel with people on Bourbon Street, and he shared it with, with people that were in all those industries that were associated with Bourbon Street. I'm not gonna, there's kids in the room, so I'm gonna be, pretty tame in that. 
But he said that, that there were certain individuals that when you shared the gospel with them, it was easy to convince them to, to, to point to the fact that they were sinners, that they were in need of a savior. They recognized it. You kind of break it down and, and, and it was clear what was hard for him, what, what, he, what he declared was, was really difficult for him in his ministry was teaching people who were religious and really good that they needed a savior because they built their hope on their own works and not on the righteousness of Christ. And so it really kind of brings us to this question and, and I, kind of the two sides of this, but because if, if you read, if you continue to read what Paul says right here is that he's, he's not giving up, right? In verse 14, he continues and, and, and he says, how can, how can they call on the one who they've not believed? And how can they believe in the one whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can someone preach to them unless they've been sent? And, how, and he, he quotes again from the Old Testament. He says, how beautiful are the feet of those who proclaim the good news. He's not giving up, right? He's going to proclaim this until God takes him home. He's going to proclaim it no matter what the cost, no matter the fact that it's going to offend people that he knows. It's going to be, he's going to throw this in the face of people who are, who, are, who are his friends and family even, it's eventually going to cost him his life, but no matter what the cost, he's going to share the gospel. I was having a conversation right before, just the reality that, that there are times that it, in my world with my neighbors, what keeps me from taking that step is the fact that they're good people. It's what held me back in other relationships because they were good people. Who am I to say, who am I? It's not me that's saying, it's what scripture says. I don't want to offend them. What if they don't talk to me again? Well, here's the deal. They may not talk to you again, but the track that they're on right now is that they're, never gonna, they're not going to spend an eternity with you or with the Savior that rescued you that you say that you're passionate about. If you don't. So he's not giving up and we can't give up on them, who, on those who are good that don't recognize it. The other question that it begs, and I'm gonna invite the band to come back up because I believe that we've got to rescue, wrestle with this question because there's something eternal, of eternal value that's at stake is that are you a good person that's built your salvation, that's built your hope on your goodness? The reality, I'm, I've, I've said it, my, my, what breaks my heart is in a place in a, in, a, in, a, in a Bible Belt culture that we live in that so many are deceived by their own goodness, by the fact that they've done life and they've gone to church and they've gone to mission trips and they've done all these things, but they don't have a relationship with God. And my desire, my hope, my passion, what, what fuels me, what, what gives me, uh, a, what keeps me up and keeps me doing what I'm doing is the fact that many of you, some of you, I'm many, is, is, there's many of us, there's, there's us in this room and many of you know people like this that are certainly building their faith, have, have put their faith in their own righteousness and they're really good people who are going to spend an eternity away from a good and loving father because they've put their hope in the wrong place. 
And so this morning, I just want to ask you that, that question. Maybe from, from Romans, it gives us this, that, that reminder that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of that sin, of that falling short, is death, Romans 6.23. But then it says that God has demonstrated his love for us in this, that, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And that the gift of God, what he's given to us freely by grace through faith is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And this is what it tells us that we do. That if we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. Now, some of you need to share that with others. Some of you need to hear that yourselves this morning and need to respond to it. And recognize that your hope has been built on something far less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. And it won't stand up. And so as we sing this song, I, this is an opportunity for you to respond. I'm going to invite you to stand. But if you, whatever ways that you need to respond, I want to ask you to respond. For our... Um, our uh, Prayer team, A6C3, if you don't mind just kind of step into the back over here by the doors, I want to ask you just to be there. If you have a question about what it means to take that next step in a relationship with Jesus, you're not signing on a dotted line. You're just, hey, I want to talk to somebody. I want to have a conversation. These guys are there to kind of take you, have that conversation, and then we'll set up a time to be able to have, to, to take that next step and, and really flesh that conversation out. But I want you to have an opportunity to respond. So sing, sing loud. Maybe God breaks your heart for somebody that you know. Maybe God is calling you to move back to one of those folks and have a conversation with them about what it means to have a, have a relationship with him. Let me pray for us, and then we're going to sing together, and I want you to respond however God's moving in your heart to respond. Lord, we love you. We thank you again that you loved us first. You love us best. You love us always, and your love never fails. God, where we fail, even though we don't want to recognize it, your love did not fail. And what we could not do and that, that we were weakened by what, what the law could not accomplish and that it was weakened by the sinful flesh, God, you accomplished. And when you accomplished, you accomplished it completely. And you invited us into a relationship based on you accomplishing the law for us. That we can have a righteousness that's not based on our own, but it's based on yours. It's in Christ's strong and mighty name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast. Share this episode with friends and family in your life. Make sure you subscribe to be notified so you never miss a sermon. If you are interested in learning more about Rolling Hills, download our Rolling Hills app, follow us on social media, or visit our website at rollinghills.church. The Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast is a part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network, available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Thanks for tuning in.